All right, good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. Hopefully you brought your Bible because it will be helpful this morning. should be helpful every Sunday, but it might be into your personal advantage to have it today. Again, should be to your personal advantage every, but anyway. Everybody remember what we said we were going to do today? Does anybody remember what we said? We're... Well, okay. I see people remember what they want to remember about that. We were, we were planning to what? To review, and I said, if possible, I would try to incorporate a game into that, but... Uh, and I really tried to come up with a crossword puzzle or something, but anyway, I just didn't really work out good. Anyway, but we are going to probably try to incorporate a game into this. But before we do, all right, we'll uh, have a word of prayer, and then we, uh, I want to just everybody together want to review some of the big highlights, okay, because there are certain things that I really hope everybody's kind of grasped by now about Hebrews, and because uh, my goal with, uh, with our, our going through the book of Hebrews the way we have been, uh, my goal is I, I, I hope that everybody will be able to obviously get the big idea and then... Uh, uh, be able to think through if you if, remember if they're, they're key key words key points whatever if you you can think through the whole presentation of the book of Hebrews with just some some really key words I guess you could say and um, and then obviously there, you know different people are gonna uh, grasp different things about that but then different uh, you, you know the more then that you can fill in details on that big skeleton then the more Obviously, you can uh, think about the, uh, the argument of the book of Hebrews, all right? So let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer, and I think this morning, I'm just going to ask Brother Andy, if, follow, if you would just lead us in a word of prayer this morning, then we'll jump right in here. Amen. All right. There are some uh, numbers and letters on the board, and they represent a big outline, uh, main points, all right, of the book of Hebrews. And I would hope by now everybody kind of has these uh, in their, you know, in their mind and be able to think through. Obviously, from here down, we haven't got that far yet, so... That'll be uh, left blank, but there are three key words that I, I wanted you to remember about the book of Hebrews. In fact, let me just put a pause on that and ask you this. What is the book of Hebrews all about? Just if, if you had to just give it in just a nutshell statement, what is the book of Hebrews all about? All right. Obviously, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, but the fact that he is better. He's superior to everything, every, everyone. Of course, being, you know, following the name of the book, referred to as the book of Hebrews, 
there is kind of a target in that, in that Jesus is compared to, to many things in the book of Hebrews, many persons that the Jews would have held in high esteem and that they would have thought important, all right, in their history and in their religious observances and so on. And uh, the writer incorporates a lot of comparisons of those people throughout that. That's not our outline, okay? Um, but in showing that Jesus is better, that he's superior to everything and everyone, uh, he follows, I think, basically a threefold presentation in the, in the whole book, a threefold presentation. So there were three key words that I've tried, I've repeated over and over again, trying to get you to think about those. And again, if you think, if, 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 if you can remember those three words, you can think of the big picture of what the, what the book of Hebrews is about, how it argues for the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are those three words? All right. I hear a couple of them. All right. The person... And I'm almost too short to write this up here. All right, and then I heard priesthood. All right. And then what was the third big word? Principle. In other words, Christ in his person, he's superior. All right. And then his priesthood, what does that have to do with? You could also say his, his work, all right, what he did, what he accomplished. And Hebrews presents uh, the work that Christ did in a, in, a, in a unique way, all right, compared to the rest of the New Testament particularly. Um, not everything in its unique, but, but in a, the, the way that Hebrews presents it and the focus on the priesthood of Christ is unlike any other New Testament book. And then the principle of Christ. What, what, again, we haven't got to that part of the book yet, but what, you remember just a basic idea what that's referring to? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the superior principle, and that's what the book of Hebrews really, if you want to say, is building to, pre presenting Jesus Christ, that he in who he is is superior, and there's two key arguments that are made about that. Actually, I could say, a, probably should have added a C there, a third. Um, but, uh, and then, then he moves on because of who he is, what he did, all right? He is superior because of what he accomplished. And then ultimately moving on to the principle of faith in him is the ultimate goal, all right? Uh, not just realizing who he is, what he did, but then a person coming to the point where they put their faith in him, reliance on, on him for everything. And that's what, uh, that's what we're moving to in that, all right? So let's just, I didn't leave room for it, but let's just say there's a C right there, all right? What are the three key words in the argument for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, thinking who he is, all right? All right? His deity fact that he's God. I mean, you think about it, obviously right there, that just, that just separates him from everyone else, all right? Uh, but his deity, and I'm writing these for a reason because I'm getting ready to erase them here and then we'll be asking questions, all right? So 
his deity. What's the second area in? That's the third one. Humanity. I heard it, but I wasn't sure who said it. All right, so his humanity, and then the fact that he was faithful, his faithfulness surpasses everyone and everything else. Only Christ was 100% faithful in fulfilling God's will and the, you know, carrying out the mission that he had. Uh, everybody else, you know, even some of the other examples that he's compared to, they may have been faithful in, you know, in our general look at it, but they didn't fully accomplish everything that God had uh, given them to do. All right, then in his priesthood, I got all six letters there. The first two were not given as much attention, okay, as the last four. Uh, but hopefully you still kind of remember these. All right, talking about his priesthood. Well, let me ask you this beforehand. The argument for the person of Christ, what portion, at least chapters-wise, in the book of Hebrews are covered with that? All right, makes sense that it begins with chapter 1, right? Uh, but then through up through chapter 4, all right? Um, then his priesthood, so if ends in chapter 4, then what chapters in the book of Hebrews are covering the argument for his superior priesthood? All right, 5 through 10, and again, specifically, there's some verses that cut off in those, and, but 5 through 10, and then the principle of faith in Christ is argued in... Chapter 11 through 13, all right? So, the priesthood of Christ. There were six points in our outline that we presented that you could say are in the argument for that. Again, the first two weren't emphasized as much in this as the last four, but for sake of review, I thought we would include them there. But anybody remember what these are? And these all begin with the letter S, again, for sake of alliteration here. Um... What did you say? No. Um, I mean, he did that, and he satisfied God and, and so on, and what he did. But chapter 5 gave us a, we called it a synopsis, all right? It was just a, brie, or a, just a brief presentation in general about what a priest did. If you remember that, then it... It talked about the, you know, the Old Testament priests, they did this, this, and this. There were four things mentioned there. And then at the next several verses went on to show, okay, Christ did these. All right, so laying, laying introducing if you, or opening the door, maybe you would say, for the fact, okay, he carried out a priestly work for us. It went into that. And then, so, is synopsis the word I used there? <laughs> It was either synopsis or summary. I can't remember. It was satisfied. Okay. Uh, and then B, this incorporated into one of those warning passages, if you remember. But the word there, well, it is serious. That's not the word that was there. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and give it to you. Like I said, I didn't emphasize it as much. So significance. And I realize it's kind of sloppy writing, but that helps, you know, if you misspell something, if nobody can read it anyway, it don't matter. But anyway, but synopsis and significance. So chapter 5 gave us a brief synopsis summary there. Uh, chapter 6 uh, actually started in 5, but in 6 you see 
pretty much the whole chapter is part of a warning passage, but it, it, was, it was stressing the significance of what he did. And we'll get back to that more if we talk about the warning passages. But these last four, hopefully you do remember, because these are the four that we really paid attention to. Beginning in chapter 7, this one, you remember... does have an R in it, <laughs> uh, and an E, and an E. Uh -huh. The source of his priesthood, and what was that about? That he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, right, okay? And then, so, began there, which kind of, again emphasizes who he is, all right? And then these next three, that was chapter 7, basically. Chapter 8 was, there was a comparison between an old and a new covenant. And so the alliterated choice of, you know, was the script of his priesthood. Again, I, I realize sometimes the words might are forced in a way, but anyway, all right, so the new covenant. He's a priest according to the new covenant, all right? And then these two are very obvious, I would think, all right? Uh, they're, not, they're not forced words at all to alliterate here, but uh, his priesthood also in chapter 9, there was an emphasis on this, his priesthood was carried out where? In the sanctuary, all right? The true sanctuary. And again, comparison between the Old Testament priests, they carried out their service in a tabernacle uh, made with hands, remember? And Christ's sanctuary that he offered in was the sanctuary made without hands, it was, what are two other descriptions that were given of it there? It's the, again with a T, the true tabernacle, that it's in heaven, it's not made with hands, all right? And then the last, which chapter 10, basically, the first 18 verses of chapter 10, were this last S, the sacrifice, all right? And ultimately, it builds to that. I mean... <laughs> now, to, uh, to put it this way, too, remember, it doesn't mean, you know, this outline is just trying to give a framework to think through because, I mean... The sanctuary that Christ offered, it's not just first mentioned in chapter 9, all right? I mean, these ideas, they're introduced and then they're built up later, all right, Often, oftentimes. So it's not just like a one, two, three, moving on that way. Uh, all these ideas are continually brought up and, and rehashed more in the book of Hebrews, all right? So I thought to begin with, we would just... Do it this way, letting everybody participate and putting it up here so you can see. I didn't write all the references there, but I guess for sake of 
doing that. So those would be chapters that those words are associated with that. Um, but also, um, in the book of Hebrews, all right, this, this is kind of a, structure and a structured argument that's presented and moved along in the book of Hebrews, but also inserted in that argument, there are some warnings given and some serious warnings that are given, all right? And, and really, if you stop and think about these things and take to heart what they're saying, they are very serious. And they're for a reason, to get people to stop and think about this. This is a serious matter that's being presented, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if a person uh, does not come to the point of realizing these truths and then come to a point of conviction and, and true faith in Him, they're in trouble. It's really what it boils down to. They are in trouble when they stand before God one day because He is the only hope that any of us have. All right? And so uh, that's why it's important. So we mentioned there, there are some serious warnings. Anybody remember how many of those there are? Now, we haven't looked at all of them yet, okay, but we've mentioned how many. Five warnings, all right? And up through this point in the book of Hebrews where we are, up through, through chapter 10, verse 18, do you remember how many we've seen? Three so far, all right? Um, and so, there, obviously, then there's two more in chapters, well, there's... The, the fourth one is in chapter 10, toward the end of chapter 10, and then there's another one in chapter 12, okay? But, uh, so, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously see those when we get to those. In thinking of those warning passages, though, uh, I, I was going to ask you some questions about those, all right? Remember, they are serious warnings, and they are issued, uh, to, again, to, to express the seriousness of this whole point of Jesus. And again, in, in the basic historical context that, that this is mostly targeting, I guess you could say, a Jewish audience, but it doesn't mean that you know, there's not uh, reality and truth there for everyone else, but mostly targeting a Jewish audience, but that helps you understand where it's coming from and the argument that's being presented, all right? And remember that first warning passage, anybody remember where it was found? Chapter 2, first four verses of chapter 2. And the basic idea of that warning, that argument was, all right, if the word of God given through angels in the Old Testament, all right, in other words, and the point being, indirectly through messengers, whether it was literal angels or even prophets or whatever, but indirectly through messengers that, that you know, if, if the warning and the message that God gave in that Old Testament through them was serious, how much more serious is the message that 
God the Son, Jesus himself, brought in this New Testament. And we should listen up. That's the gist, you could say, of that. And then in uh, chapter 3, that's where the next, the second warning passage is. Anybody remember the gist of that warning passage? It talked about the danger of, think about what this principle is, the danger of unbelief and the result of that is what? Missing God's rest. And it used the Old Testament Israelites there in the wilderness as an example, remember? And how they didn't all, all that came out of Egypt didn't go into the promised land. And they didn't enter because of what? Because of unbelief. All right, that's why they missed the rest. And so that, that's the emphasis of that warning passage. And then the, the other warning passage begins at the end of chapter 5 and then takes up pretty much all of chapter 6. And that's the passage that's probably uh, seems to, I think the one in chapter 3 as well, but more in chapter 6, is, is, seems to be a source of people coming up with wrong doctrine, I guess you could say. And so we spent a little bit more time perhaps on that particular passage because I I think it's important there. And you remember the gist of that passage is uh, it's warning again about the seriousness of faith in Christ. And it warns there's, there's two issues, you could say, that are involved in that. One begins, the word begins with an I, and the second one begins with an A, that are the dangers that were involved that are being warned about. Does anybody remember what those two words would be? It uses that word there, but that's not the issue. That first one, the I, is kind of at the end of chapter 5, but it, it speaks of immaturity. Remember that? And then in chapter 6, it moves on to the idea of, beginning with the A, the apostasy, which is a turning away from. Now, in that passage, again, some people people look at that and say, okay, uh, because the whole point there is in verse 4 that it's impossible to renew somebody to repentance if they meet these certain conditions, okay? And, and so some people take that as saying, okay, a person can lose their salvation, all right? But that's not what the passage is about, all right? It's a warning about a person, I think you could say, coming very close to salvation, interacting with spiritual truths and so on, but they never cross the threshold into salvation, And if they turn away, the whole point of that warning is there's nothing else that can be done. All right? They've they've had uh, interaction and enlightenment and so on that's needed for salvation, but they've turned from it. There's nothing else that can be done. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And I think specifically, it's very possible that the six, there's six criteria there that have to be met, six statements for someone to be in that condition. 
And I think it's very possible to argue that those would, that really could only take place in the first century for people that really literally had an interaction with the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. I'm not going to be diehard and say that's the only possibility, but I think if, particularly when you look at those and examine what they're saying, it's very possible that that's what it's referring to. And I gave you one, a, a human example of somebody in that exact condition those verses are talking about. Anybody remember who that was? Judas Iscariot. He's the example of exactly what that passage is talking about. I mean, you can't get much closer to Jesus than Judas was and not be in Christ, you know. But he turned from it. He made a decision and turned from it, and he sealed his doom. But anyway, all right, so that said, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but we can uh, do this. And I'm not great at... Okay, that works pretty good. Let's do it this way, and I don't know. We'll see how fair it ends up being. But uh, one team, all right, is Pastor Brinker, this side, back through the bedding houses, over to Brother Yoder. And then starting them with the other brother, Andy, back here. Up this way, this is another team, all right? Just, and here's the thing. We're going to... I had really gone back and forth as to what game to try to play, but I don't think I really have time left. That's my fault as far as doing a Bible baseball game. So I think we'll do Bible tic-tac-toe. All right? If, uh, if there is such a thing as Bible tic-tac-toe. But, uh, and we might get multiple ones of these in. All right? So... So that would work. All right, we got those colors over there. All right, so we'll we'll let this team go first since they're A. I'm and and here's the thing, you can use your Bibles, all right, and uh, you can kind of I don't know if it would be a good idea to kind of get where you can consort with each other or whatever. You just got to give an official answer. All right, and we'll we'll say Pastor Brinker's the captain of this team, so you just got to give an official answer for your team, and this side, the same thing. Who wants to be the captain over here? I don't know. <laughs> They're pointing at each other. All right. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll say Brother John is the captain. So you're, you give the official answer, but you all, you all can consort together. You can use your Bibles, okay? And if you happen to have brought any of the notes that I handed out, you can use them, all right? <laughs> And I gotta erase what's on the board now. Because that'll play into this. Alright. We'll start out with easier things and get harder as we go on. But alright, first question. <clears throat> In which chapter in the book of Hebrews 
is there, and listen to this, I'm not saying the first time he's mentioned, but the argument presented for Christ being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this is based on, again, the, the outline, the presentation that, we, that I went by. That is correct. All right. Do you want to be X's or O's? X's. All right. So, where do you want your X? Top left, up here. Oh, that's not being very X-y there. <laughs> that, uh, all right, we'll go with that one. X-y, but uh, anyway. Um, team B. All right. In which chapter in the book of Hebrews is the argument made for Christ's superior humanity? That is correct. Where do you want? You got to be O's, I guess. Top middle, right here. All right. That's a big bold O. All right. So back to team uh, A team, no, B team, this team. All right. Uh, In a particular chapter in Hebrews, well, I can't ask it, but with the, okay. In chapter one in the book of Hebrews, all right, we, we mentioned when we were reviewing that oftentimes in Hebrews, Christ is compared to somebody or something, a person or maybe an office of some. But in chapter 1, there are basically two of those comparisons presented. Give me one of them. Christ is better than. Just one. Don't, don't say the other. All right, that is one of them. Yes, correct. Where? All right. Uh-oh. This, uh, Team B. I don't know if you heard them discussing, but I was going to ask you what the other of those two was. That is correct. All right, where do you want your O? 
All right. We'll make this one a little harder then. In chapter 2, the argument, main argument there is for Christ's superior humanity. Okay? I presented two reasons, and these are from found in verse 5 through verse 18 of chapter 2. Two main arguments are made there as to why he is superior in his person. And, and many more could be made from the rest of the Bible, okay? But there's two specific ones made in the book of Hebrews. And in the outline that I followed, they both began with the main words R and D. Now, whether that helps or not, No, 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 not that kind of R&D. Actually, I guess the second one is not D, but anyway, both, both R was the first main word in them. I might be asking you all the second one, so might. Restore creation. Okay, restore man's dominion over creation is how, how we presented it. Remember in, in Genesis 1, when God created man, he said what? Let man have dominion over, right? He gave man that. Adam forfeited that. How? When he sinned, all right? Christ came and won that back, you could say, because he completely obeyed God. He completely fulfilled everything that God gave him to do, so he is able to restore that rightful dominion because he, as the perfect man, was obedient, obedient to God. All right, there is, that's, that's good, all right, so. That was anticipated. Bottom middle, oh. Okay. I was thinking I'll move ahead of you. So I moved the wrong one right there. Gotcha. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Tic-tac-toe test. They come out of the woodwork. <laughs> all right, so where was what, 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 what? All right, Team B, what was this, the second area presented? Restoring man's rightful dominion over creation was the first area presented in Hebrews 2 for the necessity of Christ's humanity. All right, what was the second reason given in Hebrews 2? This would more specifically be in verse 9 through following.
and I'm not requiring you to say it exactly how it was in the notes, but basic idea. <laughs> What's the music? Dun, 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 dun. Even if you just say one word, you probably can get it. Okay, he came to reconcile man back to God. All right? He had to become a man in order to do that. Because in order to do that, he had to what? He had to die. So he had to become a man in order to do that. So he had to, and, and in that passage, it talked about him tasting death and so on. Anyway, all right, where do you want your O? <laughs> I'm going to let you tell me exactly. The top middle? Oh, oh gotcha. Okay, well, it didn't work that way. Anyway, bottom left. All right. Team A. All right, let's. In chapter three of Hebrews, all right, talking about these comparisons, Christ is better than, there is a human character there that he's compared to as being better than. Who would that be? Better than Moses. That's it. Better than Moses. Remember, Moses was faithful in all his house. But in the human sense, he was a faithful man. But he still wasn't 100% faithful to everything God told him to do. He never got the Israelites into the promised land, right? Got them out of Egypt. I mean, that was a big thing in itself, but never quite got them into the promised land. And that was part of the original commission that God gave him at the burning bush, if you remember. All right. So, wrong pen. All right. Where do you want your axe? All right. Going along with the same vein of thinking here, all right? Christ is better than. There is another human character 
that he could be compared to, and you could see the comparison in both chapter 5, chapter 7, perhaps some others, but those are two definite chapters you can see it in. Christ is better than, this statement was never in the outline, but the name came up numerous times. definitely not Melchizedek. He's not the one compared to because he's better than this other priest because he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So it would be what? Aaron. Aaron was who to look at. I guess in that in chapter 7 you could say he was better than Abraham as well. But that didn't seem to be your official answer. So. <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess... Back to you all for the chance of the win here. So, uh, let me think here. Speaking of that same line of thinking, why is Jesus's priesthood better than the priesthood of Aaron? which being after the order of Melchizedek, there was a main idea in that, that why it was better. Okay, it's an eternal priesthood. It was, he's, it's an ongoing, I mean, different words you could use, but it didn't stop and, and so on. So, yep, uh, where do you want to put it? Left middle? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we didn't get as much uh, questions in as would like, but it's time to stop. So I guess congratulations, Team A.
But anyway, again, just in that thinking of what we put up here, if you can just kind of think through that, you can see the, the logical presentation in the book of Hebrews about why Christ is better. All right? Anyway, we'll stop at that. You're dismissed for you.